You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. In my fertile, tactile imagination, I envisage a conversation spoken between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a time before there was time, before before there was a garden called Eden, before man's creation, or there was a serpent to wreak havoc upon them, or a man and a woman prone to ingratitude, before their fall into sin and the corruption that rapidly increased in the world of men. The conversation from eons ago may have gone like this. How shall we save these people whom we love beyond their ability to comprehend our love? They've made a terrible mess of the home we gave them. How shall I show them what I'm truly like, parentheses. Then God took a deep contemplative pause and rumination. It lasted perhaps an immeasurable time as he determined the best possible remedy. He asked that question again, how shall we rescue them? Suddenly, joyfully, confidently, he said, I know, I will go myself. I shall be born like they are born. I shall live where they live. I shall see what they see. I shall even laugh like they laugh. Then I shall cry like they cry. I will hurt like they hurt. I will mourn like they mourn and rejoice like they rejoice, I will feel like they feel. Yes, I will go myself. I will be to them as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world to save them from their sins. Yes, I will go myself. Last week, I covered uh, the episode of the arrival of the wise men at the birth of Jesus. We're looking at um, during this Christmas season. This week, I'm going to cover two things. I hope I can get to both of them. Number one, what's called the Annunciation or the literal event when the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. And number two, uh, the actual birth events when uh, where the angels alerted the shepherds that Christ had been born. There's so much, uh, to me, profound meaning in these two little episodes. And um, so to begin this, I wanted Michelle to read uh, to all of us from Luke 1, 26 through 38 from the Genesis or the beginning of the Christmas story. And you can, you can follow along overhead. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. 
But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Michelle. So what we have seen here in the first chapter of Luke is um, the angel visits uh, the virgin whose name was Mary. She was betrothed to, um, to Joseph, but their process was different, different from ours to be betrothed. Um, it was like a preliminary process to the actual consummation in the, in the marriage. And so the angel suddenly appears to her and says some of the most remarkable things. And so I've taken a look at a number of these different verses. I just wanted to pull things out of them. Um, I think that will help us. Matter of fact, my primary motive for preaching is to bring encouragement. Um, and I think there's a lot in here that can really, really encourage us. And one of the things very clearly and obviously is this, the supernatural aspect of the impregnation of Mary. Um, that takes a pretty significant leap of faith for people. But the whole gospel is built on it. Apart from this, there is no gospel. Apart from this, there is no son of God. Apart from this, everything falls apart. And it takes a leap of faith. It really does. And so um, I believe this literally happened. I believe an angel appeared uh, first to Zacharias and um, offered uh, Zacharias, didn't offer him, but just proclaimed to him. Um, he actually, when you look at some of the language, he actually said, to Zacharias, who was a very old man, he said, um, the prayers you no longer pray, God's going to answer. The prayers you no longer pray. And the prayer he no longer prayed was he might have a son. Um, <laughs> and it's really interesting to me. Um, Zacharias uh, argued with the angel, which is apparently not the right thing to do. And the angel's only explanation to Zacharias as to why he should listen to him was, he said, I come from the presence of God. <laughs> and apparently the presence of God is the most remarkable place to come from. 
It's way, way beyond anything we've ever experienced. Um, And so when Zacharias argues, uh, he describes himself and his wife in two different ways, which I think is really humorous. Stephen Roach mentioned this a number of years ago. Zacharias describes uh, himself. He says, I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. He said, I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Well, they were probably the same age, but gentlemen, take note. (laughs) Pay very close attention here. There's wisdom even in uh, Zacharias' difficulty. But another thought I've had, I've mentioned this before. I want to mention it again because I think it is so important. Our prayers... I mean, when you pray, your prayer goes somewhere. The Bible says that there are bowls in heaven that contain the prayers of the saints. And there are certain prayers that aren't answered until the bowl's filled. Now, do I understand that? No, I really don't. But I do understand that we can pray things that don't come to pass for a long, long time. And the idea, the way the Lord gave me to say this is that our prayers sometimes have a longer shelf life in heaven than our faith has here in the earth. And see, that was what happened to Zacharias. Zacharias and his wife got pregnant when, uh, let me see the way he described it, was he was an old man and she was advanced in years. And so when um, I've read through these verses Several things struck me, particularly in the context of the last three weeks. I've been, I've been talking about Thanksgiving. I really do believe um, it's, it's, you know, there are A keys, there are some keys, but I really do think Thanksgiving could be put in the category of being the key to many things in our lives, the key. Matter of fact, if you read Psalm 107, Oh, I'm off, but I'm on. Psalm 107 um, is remarkable. It it goes through the cyclical history of the rise and fall and rise again of the people of God. God helps them. They love him. Things happen. They get distracted. They get away from him. Things happen, they're oppressed, they cry out. And what happens when they cry out? God delivers them. And so Psalm 107 has, um, through its uh, 43 some odd verses, a series of five or six of these episodes, one after the other. And each one of the episodes ends this way. Verse 8, the first time. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And you think, yes, we should be thankful. Then there's this another episode, verses 9, 10, 11, 12. By 13, they're in a horrible mess. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He broke their chains in pieces. And you come right back to verse 15, which is a word-for-word repetition 
of verse 8, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And then by the time you get to verse 21, the cycle has repeated itself, the rise, the fall, the crying out, the deliverance, and then the statement, Oh, not oh like I've discovered this, but oh like do you not understand what's going on here generation after generation after generation. And here is the conclusion I believe the Lord has. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now, one of the problems with being thankful is we're not. And I'm trying to get a thousand things I'm thankful for, and I'm at like 149, and I'm trying not to cheat. I'm trying to really do this right. But when, And I didn't mean to get off on this, but I think it's valuable. Um, to dedicate yourself to being thankful begins to uncover in your life how truly ungrateful we really are and how easily we stray from God and his goodness. It's, it'll tell on you. It's been telling on me. I'm up here talking about how wonderful it is, and I'm in a little bit of a battle sometimes over actually doing what I know is the right thing, and I know the value of it, and I know the scripture. We enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. We worship at his footstool. That may be, oh, well, you can't make that formula. Oh, why can't you? Why, why suddenly do we have to be smarter than the Bible sometimes? I mean, we don't understand it all, but there's some things that are pretty dadgum clear, right? Yeah. Anyway, to say this, the first words out of the angel's mouth to Mary, the very first word is rejoice. There in verse 28, the angel suddenly appears, scares her to death, and he says, rejoice, highly favored one. And when I saw that, um, it struck me that the first thing the angel did who comes right out of the heavenly realm is to encourage Mary to be grateful, to give thanks, to rejoice, to be happy. You know, I think Christians are supposed to be happy. I think that, you know, I believe that. There are all kind of reasons we aren't. But I think part of knowing the Lord is it should enable us to develop a legitimate, continual, positive way of looking at life. Now, I know there are heartaches. I know there are sorrows. We weep with those who weep, but we rejoice with those who rejoice. And if nothing's going on at all, I think you just rejoice. You go on and go for it. But the angel told Mary that she was highly favored. God has highly favored you. And so we discover historically and we discover um, here, of course, in the scripture, God had a unique plan for her life and it was a good plan. It was a plan filled with both mystery and wonder. Who wants a life like that? I do. 
I don't want to be bored. I want to be mystified. I want to have things to wonder about. I want curiosity to increase. Albert Einstein said, curiosity is the fuel of genius. That's, that's what we need. We need to be curious, but we need to be positively curious. We don't need to be contrarians and always wonder negative things. We need to have the mystery of God captivate us. We need to have a sense of wonder somehow eke into these poverty-stricken souls that sometimes we have. Now, that's not a positive confession, but come on. Now, so her life was going to be a good life. It was going to be filled with mystery. It was going to be filled with wonder. And don't you know, hers was. But it was going to be filled with both agony and ecstasy. And the thing is about agony and the thing about heartache and the thing about sorrow, you can at least get one thing out of sorrow and agony. It's how much you appreciate what it is to no longer have it. Now, that sounds almost imbecilic, but it's, it's, it's true. We can even learn from things in life that give us pain. And she was going to have a life filled with adventure. She was going to have a full life. I believe that was all built into being highly favored. But here's what I think we need to take from this. Mary was unique in that her favor involved that supernatural one-time-only event, the impregnation by God of the, of, uh, from the Holy Ghost. But God has the same view and promise for our lives, each family, each one of us here. Now, that's not going to involve what happened in Mary's life, but it's going to involve something that happened in your life. God really has a unique plan for your life. And when you look at that, that phrase, highly favored, that phrase only appears twice in the entire New Testament. Highly favored one. What is it to be highly favored? Well, Mary was highly favored. But it says in Ephesians 1.6, I'll jump in the middle of a phrase because Paul talks for days, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he, and they quote it, they translate it this way, made us accepted in the beloved, which is such a powerful statement, but that is the exact same statement made us accepted as Mary being told she was highly favored. And so what the Bible is trying to tell us is each one of us has been highly favored, but we haven't really recognized it. We haven't really maybe, I don't know if it's, if, if it's about appreciation or if it's about having our eyes opened. I don't know how many worlds there are in the universe. What if there's only one? What if really this was the only inhabitable planet in the universe? There's no clear evidence that that's uh, not true. There's no evidence of other inhabitable planets. What if this is the only inhabitable planet in the universe and God decided to start right here with a man and a woman and populate that one planet? What would that make you? What would that make me? 
that would make us remarkably favored. If in all the universe, there's but one inhabitable planet that was set at the appropriate distance from a sun, that was set with a cosmos around it, that kept it appropriately aligned so it could have winters and summers and springs and falls with temperatures where not too hot, not too cold, you could learn how to live. What if that is the reality of all creation? There's but one planet and you're on it. Highly favored. Well, think about the new birth. You can be born again. You can have a new life. You can have living inside of you. Understand it or not, I've wrestled with this all my days. Christ can live in your heart by faith. What? He was now. He was not always there. Don't, don't uh, go Buddhist on me here. He really was not always there. You were not always born again if you believe the clear teachings of the Bible. There was a point, there was a place in time. Just like for Mary, there was a point, there was a place in time. She wasn't pregnant, she was pregnant. There was a point and place in time where you did not have Christ living in your heart. And then through an operation of the Spirit of God, through some kind of relationship you had with the Holy Spirit, with the gospel being preached, with the friend giving you the good news, or maybe you just sort of seeped into it because of an atmosphere. Nevertheless, it was all real. At a given point, Christ took up residence in your heart that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints the massive width, length, depth, height, knowing the love of God that surpasses knowledge so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's in chapter 3 of Ephesians. The next thing the angel told Mary, I think every one of us need to really hear. He gave her this most remarkable promise with this encouragement. Do not be afraid. Listen to this. This is what heaven has to say to us this morning. Do not be afraid. Do you know if we can see God clearly? you know if we can understand what God understands? There's nothing to worry about and there's nothing to fear. That should be baseline realities for every child of God. Do you see how far away from that we are? We should never worry. We should never fear. Jesus rises from the dead, 33, 35 A.D., somewhere in there. Jerusalem's going to be entirely destroyed in three decades. He's prophesied his destruction before his death. First thing he comes, first first thing he does when he comes out of the grave, he says, rejoice. Don't be afraid. Not look out. Watch it. Or, uh uh-oh. 
No, and see, I believe this. There, there's societal pressures to be afraid and to worry. I mean, there, there are people that if you, they see you're in a mess and you're not sufficiently worried, they'll, they'll review the facts with you. They want to make sure you understand what's going on so you can worry too. What was um, Oswald Chambers said, um, he, he just, he, he said, if I can remember this right, he said, worry or anxiety is unfaithfulness to God. That's pretty potent. You know, if we could see things the way God sees them, I think we would realize we, we, we can make some changes here. But fear is the enemy of faith. It's not good soil to cultivate your faith. It doesn't lend itself to believing. It always tries to rob you of the good thing that the Lord wants to do. Of course, the promise there in verse 30, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. That's a transliteration of uh, actually the um, name Joshua. It basically means God will save. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. I've mentioned this already but the remarkable reality of the virgin birth is fundamental to faith in Christ. It's an essential. You can't do without it. Another thing that struck me was that the angel had visited Mary's aunt, Elizabeth, three months earlier and had convinced um, Zacharias they could have a child. And, of course, they did what you do to have one, which they apparently weren't able to do up until the angel spoke to him. And um, so when Gabriel is convincing Mary to believe this report about what she can have, what she can believe for, he mentions to her that your, um, was it cousin or aunt? I get that confused, but her relative, her old relative was three months pregnant. And a Mary, a Mary, it says immediately, she went to see her. Now, I'm sure Mary would think, this happened to you, it happened to me. Because don't you know, um, nobody has pure faith. Do you know what I'm saying? We have some, and, and don't you know, she probably wrestled with some of that. I guess, I guess you would, right? Her being a teenage girl, uh, essentially, this being an extraordinary event. But it, it struck me that the more difficult the task, the clearer oftentimes is the word that God gives us and the extra help he gives us to believe. You know, I don't want any really clear prophetic words. Are you following me? Because if you get really, really clear high-level ones, man, you better buckle up. You better batten down the hatches because you're going to need it, right? Thank God. It's coming anyway, but thank God. But 
God puts in Mary's life this other situation of a supernatural. It was a different order, but it's every bit as supernatural for them to be able to have conceived a child when uh, he was an old codger and she was uh, well-preserved or whatever it was he said about her. But um, that's not it. But anyway, you get the point. Now, verse 37, um, I really love this. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Let's say that together. For with God, nothing will be impossible. For with God, nothing will be impossible. We need to return to believing that in our lives. With God, nothing will be impossible. We need to ask the Lord to restore us to that kind of faith. We need to pray some big prayers. I have some serious promises from God that came to me seven years ago in a supernatural encounter I had. You're sitting in one of the answers. You are. Seven years ago, almost eight, we were meeting in at the Visualite. We didn't even have the building across the street. I think we're meeting at night. And, and God has done some marvelous things for us. He gave us a building in downtown Charlotte within a block of Presbyterian Hospital. Now they call it something else, Novant or whatever. But for $3,000, it was 6,000 square feet so our kids could have Sunday school. And we had that building for three years. Do you know what they're charging for that building right now? Of the rate, the going rate is $15,000 a month. He actually told us, don't tell anybody what happened. So I said, okay. But, there, you know, it expired. <laughs> there was expiration on that promise. It was impossible. And then they gave us notice. They gave us, a, I think we had a 60-day notice to, to go, completely go relocate. And so it's, this was impossible. We, we had a third of the, we've been saving money. I know with, uh, with John Mark and the board, since day one, we were saving money. We may have had $70,000 in the bank. And this turned out to be a $310,000 renovation that I thought was a $150,000 renovation. I didn't know I'd never done one. And then, and then when we were through, we had the same amount of money in the bank as we had when we started. And I'm not sure where it all came from. I guess it came from you. It came from others. I know it came, people from outside of here contributed $10,000. People that will never be here, don't know any of you, know me. But it was impossible. To me, it was impossible. I didn't know how to do it. I'm not even sure how it happened. But that's what happens with faith. Faith is you take the next step and and one of two things happens. It works or it doesn't work and you learn a lot both times. 
But we can't let the things in our lives that didn't work stop us from getting back up and believing again. God's, God can do the impossible. There are people in here today that are sick, you battling illnesses and ailments. God can heal you. I believe God released that healing power. Do those miracles. I don't know how you do it, but I know more people get help when I pray for them than when I ignore them. Yeah, that's the way that works. Well, does everybody you pray for uh, get healed? No, but more people I pray for get healed than people I don't pray for. I know that. And the more of us that have a heart to see God touch other people, the more those people will uh, get healed because it's not about me. It's not about superstar prayer people. It's about simple faith in God. I was telling Coogan, Coogan, let's be dumb enough to believe something. Let's, let's just be, you know, because our minds oftentimes talk us out of the things God has for us. We need good, strong minds. We, we need really good, sound theology. We really do. But we don't need anything that at the end of it inhibits our capacity to believe the things God tells us he wants to do for us. How can that co- possibly be a good thing to have on board if it contradicts God's will and purpose for your life or to help people or to help people even just feel better? How can those be good things if we allow those things to keep us from simple faith? The, Paul talks about the brilliant Paul the Apostle talks about the simplicity of faith in Christ. The angel also makes this comment there when he says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Another way to put that is, for with God, no, all rhema is without power. And rhema is another word. It's, it's a Bible language word for the word word, rhema. And so the idea is, some people say rhema is a spoken word. Some people say rhema is a current promise word, not a dead letter word. That's so confusing. I can't figure that out after all this time. But all I do know is this, when God gives us a promise, inside the word of promise is all the power necessary to perform the promise. The Bible says, for the word of God is quick and it's powerful and it can discern our thoughts and intents and separate the soul from the spirit, give us clarity, give us confidence and give give us faith. And one of the aspects of faith is an abiding trust. And it will release the power of those promises into fulfillment. And then Mary says this great response to the angel. She says, let it be to me according to your word. That's the very best way to respond to God. Let it be to me according to your word. One of the hindrances to, I don't know, how. one of the hindrances to enjoy 
the best life in God, okay? You understand the best life? Because God blesses us, but there can be good, better, best. We can have a really good life, right? Or we can have a better life, or we can have the very best life, the top rung, the, the, uh, the gold star, the blue label, blue ribbon. And one of the keys to that is the absolute importance of surrender. See, that's what Mary did. When she said, let it be to me according to your word, she said, I surrender. I surrender. That, that's, not, um, that's not a popular message. Here's what you need to do with your life. You need to surrender your life. You need to completely give your life to God. You need to surrender it. But there's some things that will never happen until you surrender. And so when you actually surrender, you're saying two things to the Lord. You're saying amen, which means so be it. And there's this, and I trust you. And it's hard to trust God. Come on. Who wants to tell the truth? You know it's hard to trust God? That's not an easy thing to do. Trust God not be in control. How many people find it hard to trust God sometimes? Anybody else but me? I mean, but one of the things I've learned, and it's this, trust is learned. There are people I have known for years, I would never trust them with anything important. And there are people I have known for, for years, and I would trust them with almost anything. Because I have learned they're trustworthy. And see, God wants us to bring us to a point where we truly can just surrender. We can say, okay, Lord, I'm tired of fighting this thing. I realized early on I was developing a theology that would enable me to be a successful Christian without trusting God. And it was a revelation to me because I didn't want to surrender. I wanted to be in control. I wanted to, oh gosh, I wanted to tell everybody what was right. I wanted to be the person that was right. I wanted to be the person that understood the deep things and explained to you why you don't know and you don't understand. I wanted to be that guy, but I wasn't that guy. The Lord, and I got in a mess. I don't know if you've ever been in a mess and knew the Lord and still in a mess, which is, But one time the Lord said to me, you have all the answers, don't you? You have all the answers, don't you? But look at your life. You don't even know what the questions are. You've got all the books. I had all the books. I'd read the Bible a bunch. I had lots of knowledge. But there's there's something different from just knowing these things and knowing the Lord. Do you know that? And he's good to us. He loves us. Gosh, he's just sitting there waiting on us sometimes just to slow down. So it wasn't just that Mary was telling the Lord that she believed. She was surrendering her life to have it changed in a way that would affect her all her days, not knowing what that meant for her future. And you know, Mary had a great future and she had a 
terribly difficult future. But I bet if you could talk to her today, which you can't, heaven, you could later on, I bet she would tell you, I wouldn't trade it. Wouldn't trade a minute of it. I wouldn't give the heart, I wouldn't give up the heartache and I wouldn't give up the joy because they all went together. See, she was warned by Simeon. Simeon said, this child is born. Let me read it. I think it's right here. She took Jesus to present him to the Lord. And Simeon said to Mary, behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Do you know if you do the right thing, you're going to be spoken against? I remember dear old Arthur Burt. Andy, you remember what he used to say about persecution? He said, persecution is God's income tax. The more income, the more tax. You think you're going to do the right thing and people are going to clap for you? Oh, they will sometimes, but I'm going to tell you, other times they're going to have a lot to say about you. They're going to talk behind your back. They're going to make you look bad. They will make your good be evil spoken of. But but Simeon prophesied to Mary, behold, this child is destined. This is his destiny. This is what's going to happen. He's destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. And though it's as though he looked right through Mary and said to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let me tell you one of the most valuable people in the world. The most valuable people in the world are people who have known Jesus for a long, long time and still love him. I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm not just talking about me. I'm a valuable person. I mean, but people that are still, they still love him. I could give you names of people that went back. I could. Eddie, Mick, two, came like that, gone. One, I... Died an alcoholic, uh, another one drug addict. But at one point they loved Jesus, really loved him. Were an influence on my life. But see, there's a value in associating with people that have gone through these things over the years. There really is. And there's also a value in brand new believers in Jesus and young folks all full of fire. We need, we, need, we need everybody. We sure do. We sure do. But um, I do know this. Was there ever that conversation in heaven? I don't know. That's just my imagination, just my way of thinking about it. But here's what I do know. When God looked at our mess, here's what he said. I will go myself.
I'll feel what they feel. I'll see what they see. I'll cry like they cry. I'll laugh like they laugh. And then I'll give my life for them. I'll give my life for them. One of the amazing statements Paul made, he said that God did away with sin. How did he do away with sin? It said Christ, he became sin for us. Here, here's how we, we, we're forgiven. God localized all of sin in the person of his son. And when Jesus died, sin died. And it wasn't so much that, if you could hear all of this, it wasn't so much that Jesus was condemned as it was that sin was condemned in his flesh. God localized sin. And Jesus took it into the grave. And he was raised from the dead. That he made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's a glorious glory. You can't make that up. That's, no human can make up that kind of a good news. So God said, I will go myself. He came for you. Let's say he came for me. He came for me. He feels what I feel. He hears what I hear. He laughs. He cries. He's good. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.